بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا وعظيمنا وحبيب قلوبنا وشفيع نفوسنا أبي القاسم محمد وعلى أهل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين وأصحابه الغر الميامين الحمد لله الذي جعلنا من المتمسكين بولاية سيدي ومولاي علي بن أبي طالب الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله أما بعد السلام عليك يا ممتحنة امتحنك الله الذي خلقك قبل أن يخلقك فوجدك لم امتحنك صابرا the first of our salawat in honor of Rasulullah Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. Second loudest salawat in honor of Imam Amir al-Mu'mineen alayhi salam. Third with your loudest voices in honor of the Imam of our time, Imam Sahib al-Asr wa'l-Zaman. Respected scholars, brothers and sisters, Salaamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullahi wa Barakatuh. If there were two ladies who could truly be described as ladies of heaven, then they are Sayyida Fatima and Sayyida Zainab alayhim as-salam. Allahumma sallamu wa Muhammad. These two ladies are without a doubt two of the most important ladies in Islamic history. And indeed, you find that much of the world still does not know about the lives of these two ladies. The reality is that there are over three, four million, or one may argue 300, 400 million, and may even go to three billion people in the world today who may never have heard of Fatima and may never have heard of Zainab alayhim as -salam. Well, the reality is that these two ladies play a pivotal role in early Islamic history and also play a pivotal role in our lives today because these aren't just to be taken as daughter of the Prophet or daughter of, for example, Imam Ali. Rather, these are to be taken as role models in our life, role models for both the males and the females. There are many, when they hear of a famous female personality in Islamic history, they think that that personality is only a role model for the females. Reality is that that personality is a role model for both male and female. And that's why when we live in this world today, examination of these two as role models becomes fundamental for a number of reasons. The first reason is that we live in a world where most of the discussions center around feminism. 
you find that most of the discussions that center around feminism are to be seen in many academic departments in the world today. Discussions about the rights of the female, the position of the female, the status of the female, the role of the female. Even our own daughters in our mosques may now call themselves quite proudly feminists. That I'm proud to call myself a feminist and I go by a feminist ideology or a feminist worldview. Of course, some of feminism is, are concepts that we agree with or concepts that we subscribe to. Not everything that a feminist espouses is necessarily to be looked at in a negative way. If a person feels, for example, that there are women who are oppressed in the world and that part of feminism is to speak out for the oppression or against the oppression, then we subscribe to that as well. If there are certain females in the world today who are told that you cannot be politically active in your local community or that you cannot politically have a voice in your local community, we also subscribe to the idea that there is nothing wrong with a female being politically active. If, for example, there are some females who want to gain an education, someone will say, even in the 21st century, there are places where a female cannot gain an education. Yes, there are still places in the world today where a female gaining education is frowned upon or it's looked down upon. So if a person wants to say that the feminist movement espouses the idea that a female should be given the right to have an education, we agree with that as well. If a person turns around and says that the feminist movement is one that says that a female should have the right to, for example, own her own property. You know, many of these concepts were concepts that were only reformed in the last 200 years or so. The idea of a female owning her own property or a female voting or a female being in politics. The reason these movements emerged wasn't because Britain and the United States had given these rights already. No, the last couple of hundred years or so, you saw that many of these rights were rights were given. But in some countries in the world today, there are some who still cannot own property, some who still cannot vote, some who can still not get an education. And therefore, in the discussion of feminism, there is a place for Fatwa Zahra and her daughter. Yes, there are certain aspects of feminist thought that we disagree with, no doubt. There may be certain things which are proposed which differ with the Islamic worldview or which differ with Islamic law or Islamic ethics. But that doesn't mean that on the first level, discussing Fatima and Zainab should not be something tied to feminism. Secondly, we live in a world where there is major disruption or confusion about gender role. How many times have you seen gender change in the last few years? When I was younger, gender was two, male and female. Now there's male and female and she and he and I and it. I once said that all I remember it from was the Adams family. They had a cousin called cousin. It. Now there is it even in the criteria. Or there are some who say, don't even call me a gender. I am not a male. Nor am I a female, nor am I a binary. Some may go towards that direction. When I look at that, I see that gender studies becomes a main subject at university. But when gender studies becomes a main subject at university, how much can Fatima al-Zahra and Sayyidah Zainab have a role in those discussions?
Because you know in gender and feminism studies, there are some women in Islamic history who are discussed. For example, Aisha, the wife of the Prophet, has a major area in Western academic discourse when it comes to feminism and gender. Because Aisha, of course, was a lady who narrated many traditions, was a lady who led an army of men, which of course is seen as very high, that a lady could lead an army of men in the battle of Jamal, as she did. So in feminism and gender studies, Aisha is discussed. But Fatima is not discussed. Zainab is not discussed. If I were to ask all of you here, how many of you at home own a book about Fatima al-Zahra or Sayyidah Zainab? A whole biography about their lives. If I was to enter your house and those watching online, and I ask you, show me your bookshelf. Show me a book on Sayyidah Zainab's life which you're going to give to your son or your daughter to learn from. How many of you can say hand on heart that you have a book at home on Sayyidah Zainab's life? How many books do we have on Sayyidah Zainab's life? It took a priest by the name of Father Christopher Clohesse, to write a book, Zainab, Half of My Heart. A, a Christian priest wrote a book, Zainab, Half of My Heart. Whereas when you look in the Muslim world, you find that the reason that some of these Western departments have not incorporated Fatima al-Zahra and Sayyidah Zainab within their syllabus is because we have not done anything to write about those ladies. There are many of us, and this generation, if one thing I would advise needs to change, we need to become a reading generation. There are some Shia who go one year without having read one book on Islam. One year, not a single book. You ask them, have you done other things in life? Yes, what book have you read in the last year on the religion? None. And that's because we rely either on majalis only, or there is an apathy to reading. Therefore, if you were to be asked by someone today, give me a book on Fatima al-Zahra salam's whole biography. Which book would you recommend? Which author? Ask yourself, do we really know and have we really given back to Fatima al-Zahra salam that which she deserves to have back? Likewise to Sayyidah Zainab salam that which she deserves. Look at some universities in the world, their departments, they name them after certain phenomenal figures in history, yes? You might have a department named after JFK, after Mahatma Gandhi, after Mother Teresa, after Nightingale, after Shakespeare. Is there a department in any British university or any American university called the Fatima al-Zahra department or chair or fellowship for Shia studies? Is there a department that has named any of its awards after Sayyidah Zainab salam, when it comes to awards at graduation day, how many times when you graduate, you always hear, and the so-and-so award for excellent achievement goes to so-and-so. Have you ever heard the Sayyidah Zainab award? Have you ever heard the Fatima al-Zahra salam award? The reality is that for many of us, we have cocooned Fatima and Zainab just for the Shia community. Instead of trying our hardest, to make sure that the world learns about the lessons from the lives of these two. Because if you're someone who's looking for a counselor, look for Fatima. If you're looking for education, look at Fatima. You're looking at spirituality, look towards Fatima. 
You're looking for political rights, freedoms, and speaking out against injustice. Look at Fatima. You're looking for someone who teaches you how to stand in the middle of the battlefield, both literally and metaphorically, in front of arrogant men of her time. Look at Fatima. Look at how many ticks of boxes Fatima Zahra has. Yeah, there isn't Cambridge or Oxford or Harvard or Yale. None of them are writing about the great female of history, Fatima Zahra They've written about other females, but they haven't written about Fatima. And therefore, the onus on us in this lecture is to examine that if someone's a feminist and they're writing a PhD about great female role models when it came for rights of voting, property, education, politics, could they look at Fatima and could they look at Zainab Let's tonight examine these ladies of heaven and I'd like to do it by looking at each of the points within her life and all the points within Zainab's life and how they're a mirror reflection of the two. Let's start with Sayyidah Fatima First and foremost, when you examine and dissect Fatima Zahra's life, the first point that emerges straight away is what? Is that just because you're a female who grows up in an environment of trial does not mean that you cannot achieve success. What do I mean? Fatima Zahra on the first level was born an orphan. Many of us forget this. Many times we assume that Fatima Zahra had a very rosy first few years in her life. Because there are certain females in the world today, and indeed certain males, who feel that if they grow up without the same blessings that others have had around them, that there's no way they can achieve success. Sometimes there are young girls in Africa, there are young girls in India who go through a period early in their life, they feel there's no hope. The first lesson from Fatima Zahra is that if you're born in a world where the world seems against you, it does not mean it's an impediment for your success later on. Fatima Zahra was an orphan at a young age. How old was she when she was an orphan? Five years of age. Her mother, Sayyida Khadija had literally raised Fatima Zahra in the most difficult conditions. Which conditions? You think Fatima Zahra had the nicest cradle that she had and the best pram in the world, the coolest pram, the best gadgets for it, the best environment. That's what you want for your children, isn't it? You want your children to have the nicest environment when they grow up. The first example of Fatima Zahra that she gives to all of us and for those who are in a world of feminism or gender studies is that we have a female who grew up in the most hazardous circumstances. I ask all of you here a question. Fatima Zahra at the age of two, where was her bed? Let's see who the historians are here. Two-year-old, where was her bed? Well done. Sha'ib of Abu Talib. Sha'ib of Abu Talib. What was the food there? Grass, weeds, whatever you could get from Mecca, if you can smuggle something in, because when they put sanctions on a country, it's hard to get food in. When they put sanctions on a city, it's hard to get food in. When they put sanctions on a small valley, which Abu Talib had sacrificed for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and that's why we the Shia are proud when we talk of the Iman of Abu Talib alayhi salam. Because for us, Abu Talib gave his valley. Sayyidah Khadija 
At the time, her daughter was two years old. Her daughter, at the age of two, what was she living? A rosy life? No, she was living in the most difficult circumstances. Mecca had boycotted her dad. And she saw her mom going through night after night of difficulty, trauma, trial. And believe you me, Sayyidah Khadija played a major role in the upbringing of Fatima Zahra, even if it was just for five years. Because Fatima Zahra salam, learned altruism from her mother Khadija. She would see her mother stay awake while others were asleep. She would see her mother fend for her father and the others who were there. Therefore, Fatima Zahra at the age of two was living in the valley. Five years of age, her mother Sayyidah Khadija passes away. And that's why when you are a yatima or a yatim and you sometimes think the whole world's against you, the first lesson to learn from this lady is that no, that happens. Allah will test anyone. How many times have you heard people saying, but they're ma'soom, so what? No, no, but they're ma'soom, so we can't relate to them. I don't care how ma'soom you are. When you're five years old and you're an orphan, it's hard. You're not a robot. You're not a robot. Fatima Zahra would cry at the burial of her mother. She cried because she misses her mom. And even in her marriage, Fatima Zahra cried on that night. Why? Because the wish of every female is what? Is that your mother is with you on the night you get married. Did Fatima Zahra use all of that to attack the world? Or did Fatima Zahra use all of that to build her life and say that I can achieve success even though I face difficulties? Every yatima in this world who faces a trial should look at Fatima al-Zahra as their role model. Therefore, that's on the first level. Secondly, Fatima al-Zahra, when it came to the feminist movement, some said that a female should have the right to choose when she wants to get married, exactly in the case of Fatima. Fatima al-Zahra chose when she wanted to get married. She wasn't forced to get married to a cousin she's never met. How many Muslims in the world today you see, are forced to marry people they've never met in their life. Why? I promised her to your auntie, or we had already decided many years ago, or you'll see some Muslims who want to get married, some girls who want to get married, but they're not allowed to by their parents. You find that Fatima al-Zahra chose to get married at the age she got married. Yes, she got married at an age which is inconceivable for many of us today. She got married at the age of nine. And the age of nine today is, of course, something that doesn't work. In Mecca, if you got married at the age of nine or in Medina, it was something quite normal. Whereas when it came to today, today, no. Today, it's impossible and not even right to get married to somebody at this age in the world that we live in. But Fatima al-Zahra chose. Rasulullah never, ever said to her, me and your mom have decided that you should get married now. Me and your mom have decided that this is the time. No, Rasulullah was receiving proposals from people. Of the proposals that he received was from, for example, the likes of Abu Bakr and Umar and Abdul Rahman bin Auf. They all proposed for Fatima al-Zahra. And the wonderful third point is what? The wonderful third point, she was given the right to choose who she wants to get married to. It's a difficult one because how many parents feel that they are the ones who should choose who their son or daughter marries? There are many who actually never even gave a choice. I've been involved in so many marriage cases in my life where you actually find out that some girls 
did not even receive the proposal that was sent to them because the dad or the mom did not like the boy proposing. Rasulullah sallallahu did he pass on Abu Bakr's proposal? Yes. Did he pass on Umar's proposal? Yes. Did he pass on Abdurrahman bin Aw's proposal? Yes. Ya Rasulullah, you are the one who knows the seen and the unseen. You could easily turn around and say, I'm sorry, I just don't think it's going to work out. No. It is her right as a female that she says yes or no. I can only offer her advice. I can turn around to her and say, look, so-and-so person is suitable or not suitable. So-and-so person, I've heard something like this about them or something like this about them. But can you as a father come to your daughter and say to her that you cannot marry this person on grounds which are not shari'i? Yes. If you, for example, turn around and you say to your daughter that I don't want you to marry so-and-so because the guy's a drug addict, for example, there's valid concern that this person is far away from religiosity. Or the person has bad akhlaq, for example. But if someone, you don't want to marry them, why? They look ugly for our family. There are some who say this, by the way. Say it doesn't suit the looks of our family. Or, for example, I don't like the dress sense of such a person. Or, 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 that is not something valid. On the third level, Fatima al-Zahra salam, Rasulullah sallallahu bought the proposal of Amir al-Mu'mineen alayhi salam to her. She was young. It's your choice. You want to get married now? Yes, I want to get married now. Ali ibn Abi Talib has proposed for you. I'm only passing on the proposal. What's your opinion? And she replied with what? Silence. Her silence was her approval. At that moment, you found the third point about the female role model in Islam. That Fatima al-Zahra set a standard that when I have a daughter and a proposal comes in, I don't hide the proposal. I may advise, but I say, listen, so-and-so has proposed. Me and your mom may differ, but they proposed. What's your opinion? Do you want to meet them before we make a decision? That's Islam. Culture? No, culture doesn't do that. Culture says, me and your mom, we know everything in life. And we're the only ones who are going to decide. You see the difference between the two? Rasulullah wanted to show that the female has her own independence as well in such choices. The female has her own right to choose as well in these moments. Therefore, you had number three, Fatima al-Zahra alayhi salam, having that right to choose, having the right when she wants to get married. Number four, Fatima al-Zahra also finding that being a wife and having housewife as a life was not something negative. For some, this is seen as negative. What do you expect me to be? A housewife? No, not at all. For her, that actually became something divine. You can either look at it as something negative, being a partner to your husband in the house, or you can see it as something positive. Of course, Islam is not a religion that says a wife's place is to be a housewife. Let's make that clear as well. There are certain things which our cultures dictate which our religion doesn't teach at all. For example, the whole idea that our cultures may say that the daughter-in-law has to live in the house of the father-in-law or the in-laws. That's culture, not religion. Yes. Or the idea that your daughter-in-law has to serve you, cook for you. That's got nothing to do with religion. There's nothing in religion that says that the daughter-in-law has to live with you 
or that the daughter-in-law has, if she does it, she does it out of her own goodness. Not because the religion says it. There are some daughter-in-laws who were treated the worst of ways. Why? Because in our culture, when you marry us, you have to live in the same house as my mother and father. Yeah, your culture, but not religion. No, 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 no. We have to do it. No, no. If you want to say culture, you want to say taqalid, say taqalid. Do not say religion. With Fatima Zahra salam, Imam Ali salam found her as a partner. And not just that, a partner who was willing to migrate with him wherever his work dictated. This is a huge point. Instead of her turning around and saying, I'm the daughter of you know who. Why do we keep moving houses? Why do we? Of course, everybody wants to live in the same area. Everybody wants to live near their family. If Imam Ali needed to move, then she would be with him in every single area. When it came to having children, there was no limitation. It wasn't the idea of one's enough for us. No, not at all. You see her with a love for having children. Imam Al-Hassan straight away comes. And then Imam Al-Hussein straight away. And then Sayyidah Zainab after. And then Umm Kulthum after. There was no negativity in having more children in the house. Rather, there was a love in having those children within the house. But further than that, Imam Ali salam wanted to highlight in his marriage with Fatima Zahra that the female is not limited to the house. The female also has a role in society at large. In which way? One of the icons that makes Fatima Zahra important is the fact that she went on the battlefield and was not scared of the battlefield. How many times do we mention that aspect of Fatima? Normally, we mention Fatima Zahra Ma'suma, Fatima Zahra, daughter of Rasulullah. Fatima Zahra used to go to battlefield. Do you think that blood and swords used to scare Fatima? Not one bit. Bring it on. Someone says, what? Fatima Zahra on the battlefield. You know what their honeymoon was? It was a battle called Uhud. It's not the Maldives, but she was there. Today, if it's not the Maldives, why are we not going where they went? They went on that honeymoon, Dubai via Honolulu via Mexico via Zanzibar via Maldives via Goa via Bali via. Why are we not going? What was her honeymoon? Her honeymoon was the battle of Uhud. She was there in the battle highlighting that a female in Islam can be on the battlefield. Her voice could be as loud as the men on that battlefield. Her role could be as important as the men in that battlefield. Because when Imam Ali salam told her, I'm going towards the battle of Uhud, she never, he never told her you stay at home or anything. No, not at all. You would want to have a role as well on that battle. She said, my role, I'll come to the battle. If there's any injuries, then I'll try and heal or help your injuries. And if there are men who are thirsty or people who are thirsty, we'll carry water to them. As long as we can participate... There is no harm. Some would have thought that the house is where she should be. You cannot come out. Then what's she doing at Uhud? At Uhud on the battlefield, she's highlighting that a female has as much role in the development of society as the male does. And as much role in fighting injustice as the male. That's another one. Another one, the right to own property. Islam had from the beginning said the female has the right to own property. Did Fatima Zahra own property or not? Fatima Zahra owned property. 
Notice what Imam Amir al-Mu'mineen alayhi salam and Rasulullah do. That they give Fatima property in her lifetime. Fadak was given to who? Was given to Fatima al-Zahra in her lifetime or after her death? In her lifetime or after her death? Lifetime. When was Fadak given to Bibi Fatima? In which year? After the battle of Khaybar. The prophet, the prophet made something clear. Females have the right to own their own property. We don't believe in this idea that a law dictates a female cannot own her own property. Some countries, which today are called first world, modern, greatest countries, it was only recently they allowed females to own properties. 1,400 years ago, Fatima al-Zahra showed, if there's a feminist movement that wants to look at the female, then look at me. I owned a property, and how old was I? 14 years old. 14 years old, she was the owner of a land by the name of Fadak. Fadak was given to Fatima while she was 14 years of age. The Prophet made clear to everybody that my daughter Fatima has the right to own her property. The rest of your daughters have the right. You know, there are some people, by the way, who own properties, but they wait until their will, and in their inheritance, they say their property will pass on, for example, to who? Will pass on to their children. Reality is, a Muslim should give the properties away in their lifetime, not wait for the will. Why? Number one, we never know when we're going to die. Let's face the facts. Some people postpone the will, postpone, postpone. Number two, when it comes to the will, you'll find that certain people think that if you write, for example, this house belongs to so-and-so, and this house so-and-so, and this house is to so-and-so, then the will is enough. No, the will has to be executed according to Islamic law. Two-thirds of what you leave behind has to be distributed to the family. One-third is to be distributed to who you have chosen to distribute it. I don't care if now someone says, I've got six houses in Leicester. I'm giving one house to Ali, another to Zainab, another to Fatima, another to Muhammad, another to Hussein, another, for example, to Zahra. I've left each house for them in my will. It still won't make a difference. It would have to be a two-third share distributed between them. And then you see the value. Two-thirds are distributed. One-third may be what you decide to give. Why do I say that? Because Rasulullah gave Fatima Fadak while he was alive. No need to wait until the day I die. And if anyone could get an email about when he was going to die, it's him, isn't it? But he decided, while in my life, Fadak belongs to Fatima because of how much wealth her mother Khadija gave to the religion of Islam, we're going to give this land to Fatima al-Zahra alayhi salam. Therefore, Fatima had the right to own property. Number two, Fatima had the right to have an education. She was not just taught by the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, his family, but she also became a teacher of people in her own lifetime. That every female deserves to be able to educate themselves and go to school and go to college and go to uni and get a degree. She would teach what she was a specialist in. And that would be the teachings of the Quran or the teachings, for example, related to the ethics. Otherwise, there were others at the time, Rasulullah would insist, if there's a female that can teach medicine, teach medicine to the females. If you could teach law, teach law. 
If you could teach ethics, teach ethics. And so the females were able to. That was the right of education. Number three, the right to be politically active. Fundamental. The right to be politically active. There are some females that took years for them to be able to be politically active. This country has had female prime ministers, for example. There are other countries in the world that have never had a female prime minister. They pride themselves. We are the ones who talk about the rights of the female. You found when it came to this particular country, they had. When it comes to Fatima al-Zahra was she involved in the political sphere or not? Yes. She was firmly involved in the political. Hold on, but politics cannot be for women. Politics is only men. A woman cannot enter politics. It's only the female can enter. No, Fatima al-Zahra entered the political system firmly. How did she enter the political system firmly? Firstly, on the day of Mubahala, when the Quran said, bring your sons and we'll bring our sons. And bring your woman and we'll bring our woman. Why, Ya Allah, how could you allow a hijabi like Fatima to go and meet men who are not mahrana? Look where the culture of Muhammad's religion went and look what the religion was originally. A female like Fatima went to meet in a political discussion with the heads of the Christians of Najran. Who ordered it? Allah ordered it. Not Jama'at, not mosque, not Imam Barga. Ya Rasulullah, if you see some of your mosques and you see some of your Imam Bargas and you see some of the Jama'at and some of the Husayniyas, you'll see them saying very clearly that the female has no right whatsoever to enter the political sphere. But Fatima not only entered the political sphere, but lost her life in the political sphere. Imagine that Fatima al-Zahra lost her life in the political sphere. Lost her life in the political sphere, speaking out against the injustice of the men of her time. Because if you look at what took place in the famous khutbah, when she spoke out, against those who had not just confiscated the land of Fadak, but also taken the rights of Imam Ali salam, you found that Fatima al-Zahra could have easily sat back and said that I cannot get involved in this, I'm a female. No, no, feminist today, you can go and learn from her if you want. She'll teach you how to speak out against the arrogant males of her time. Fatima al-Zahra stood up, political sphere, hostile atmosphere, hostile atmosphere against the men of her time and she came out with all the knowledge that one needed at that moment you're saying to me that women do not inherit because remember feminists say that a female should have the right to inherit Rasulullah gave her the Quran gave her the right to inherit but the leaders of her time were those who said that prophets do not leave behind inheritance she replied back to them by saying number one did not Suleiman inherit from Dawood? Look at that female who the Quran becomes second nature to her. Second nature. Wallah, there are females in the Muslim community today with so much potential. But their second nature, Wallah, there isn't a lyrics of music in the car they haven't memorized. Lyrics. Like a machine. When it comes to the Quran, Wallah, I'm really busy. I don't have enough time to read. So how do you memorize all of these then? Yes. Fatima al-Zahra stands up in the middle of the political atmosphere. 
didn't need to wait till 2022 to learn about feminism and speaking out against injustice. Come to Fatima and learn from here. She stands up. You feminists always talk about the fact that you stand up against the male patriarchy of your time. The misogynist, male, chauvinist. Fatima Zahra in her time, there was a couple of characters who may have had those attributes. And you found that Fatima Zahra stood up and she made it clear to them. Did not Suleiman inherit from Dawood? Did not Yahya inherit from Zakaria? Who knows more about the book of Allah, me or you? Are you more aware of the teachings of this religion more than my husband? When you utter words like that, you're setting the principle of where the female's position is in society. That the female in one khutbah could shake up society. Why do you think, why do you think that they killed her? For what reason? Why would you kill her? I remember Abu Abdullah ibn Yazid al-Fazari. Fazari is Qasim, Qasim, Imam al-Hasan's son, is a Fazari. His mom is from Kufa. Fazaris are a tribe from Kufa. Abu Abdullah ibn Yazid al-Fazari is an Ibadi scholar. You know, in, in uh, Oman, in Masqat, the madhab, the main sect, is not Shia or Sunni. If ever you go to Masqat, the main sect is not Shia or Sunni. Masqat is not like, for example, Saudi Arabia or Iran or Lebanon or Qatar, where you either will see the main sect is Shia or the main sect is Sunni. Masqat, the main sect is Ibadi. Which sect? Ibadi. Ibadis are one of the earliest sects in Islam. They are a sect who are an offshoot of the Khawarij that fought Imam Ali السلام, at Nahrawan. Yeah. One of the offshoots, and probably the most diluted of the offshoots, were the Ibadis. One of their main scholars was living in the time of Imam al-Sadiq And this point I'm bringing home to show the belief that Fatima al-Zahra was a female heroine who lost her life martyred was an early belief can be seen in Abu Abdullah ibn Yazid al-Fazari's book Kitab al-Radud. This is a book which is an Ibadi theological text from the time of Imam. He lived in the time of Imam al-Sadiq all the way till the time of Imam al-Kadhim. So that's around when? Around, let's say, 150 after Hijrah, 160 after Hijrah. Some people today say that the Shias believe that Fatima al-Zahra was killed and she miscarried a fetus is only something we believed in recently. That's absolute nonsense. It's something we've believed in since the time of the Imams. How? Abu Abdullah ibn Yazid al-Fazari, he used to have discussions and actually was involved in trade with the companion of Imam al-Sadiq, Hisham ibn al-Hakam. Hisham ibn al-Hakam, companion of Imam al-Sadiq, he was involved in trade with him, you found that he would say that amongst the beliefs of the Shia, this is when? Not 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago. Amongst the beliefs of the Shia was that they believe that the two men of the time were the ones who hit Fatima al-Zahra and caused her to miscarry her fetus. When was this? 
When are we talking? The time of Imam al-Sadiq. When someone today comes and tells you that you know what, we've never believed in the Bibi Fatima Shahada and that Fatima al-Zahra did not die as a Shahida and that this is only something which is recent. Hold on. Number one, an Ibadi scholar says that the Shia believe in this living in the time of Imam al-Sadiq Secondly, Shaykh al-Tusi himself within the Talqis makes it clear that our belief is that Fatima al-Zahra was what? She was killed and miscarried her baby. If a feminist discussed this in a Western university today, this could be an icon of icons. A lady who showed you how you have the right to choose who you want to marry, the right to be in politics, the right to have an education, the right to inherit, the right to speak out against the injustice of the male patriarchy of your time, you will never get an icon like Fatima. But do you know what the most amazing thing is? Her daughter Zainab went through exactly the same and more. You'd think that Fatima, that was sufficient with her. Her daughter Zainab, mirror image. Feminism, gender studies. Don't just stop at Fatima. Come and look at Zainab alayhi salam. How? Fatima is Zahra, orphan at a young age. Any easier for Zainab? Was it easier for her? Rosie start to life or no? Where does Zainab begin? Orphan at what age? Same as mom. Same as mom. Rosy start? Not at all. But like mom, don't worry if it's not an easy start. You can end up shaking the world where Lester, and more than Lester, remembers your name in 2022. Five years old, orphan. Her mom killed. Does it affect her to say the whole world's against me? Not at all. Why? She had seen her mom as a feminine role model. Her mom showed her, listen, my dear, you choose who you want to marry. Don't worry. And you choose when you want to marry as well. And I want you to have a right to be educated. And I want you as well to be one day on a battlefield like I was not scared. Stand there. And I want you as well to stand against the oppressor of your time. There's a Yazid in mine and a Yazid in yours. Okay? Does she do the same? Exactly the same. Bring out your syllabuses, Oxford and Cambridge. Let me teach you Zainab and Fatima. Come here. Zainab, orphan, young, stand up. Can she choose when she wants to get married? Yes. 11 years old. Dad, I want to get married. Dad straight away turns around. 11? No problem. Who do you want to marry? A proposal comes, I'll accept. Abdullah bin Ja'far al-Tayyar. Imam Ali used to love his brother. And so when his brother's son, 16 years old, proposed for Sayyidah Zainab the first right in feminism or in gender studies is that the female has a right to choose who she wants to be with for life. And that you don't force it onto someone and arrange marriage and force her to live in oppression and sadness simply because the families are close to each other. She has the right to choose. She chooses Abdullah bin Ja'far al-Tayyar. Number one, I have the right to choose. Number two, when I want to get married. Number three, I find happiness in being a mom and also a housewife. I don't look down at it. I actually see it divine if it gets me closer to God. Straight away, 
they have son after son. They have a pause and then they have more sons later on and they may have one daughter as well. Build a family. My husband needs to migrate. Let's migrate because her husband moved from Medina to Kufa. She didn't turn around and say, I prefer Medina. I love Medina. Not at all, not at all, not at all. Life has its struggles. It doesn't diminish from me as a female if we have to migrate from one place to another. She goes with her husband. She migrates with her husband. Now she's ready. Does she have a right to education? Of course she does. But she becomes an educator. She becomes an educator at the beginning. She gives tafsir of the Quran. In Karbala, Imam al Hussein done one thing to her. It was enough for her to inherit his ilm. He touches her. Al-Muhammad, their touches are not just hugs. Sometimes it's a transfer of ilm. Sometimes it's done with a touch of saliva. Sometimes it's done when he places his hand on your chest. It's not just to calm you down. A transfer of ilm. Hence Imam Zain al-Abdin says, Verily, my auntie Zainab. Yes? Na'amati Zainab. Alima ghayru mu'allama. Wafahima ghayru mufahima. He says, my auntie Zainab is what? Is a scholar without ever being taught. How? Because one touch of Imam al-Hussein inherits the knowledge of Imam al-Hussein alayhi salam. That one touch in Karbala inherits she begins to give all the females in Medina, all the females in Sham, all the females in their different areas, all of them, they have their right to have an education, right to marriage, right to education, right to inherit. She inherits from her father, Amir al-Mu'mineen. The right to be politically, the right to be on the battlefield, she certainly was on that battlefield. Her mom was at Uhud. Her, she was where? In Karbala with her brother. Was she scared of that battlefield? Wallah, there are men in Islamic history who ran away from battles. And there's one lady who stood firm called Zainab. There are men who ran away from the middle of battlefields. And there's a lady called Zainab in the middle of Karbala. You look at her standing there. I have a right to be in this as much as the males have a right to be in this. She was there on the plains of Karbala and you witness with her. Nothing diminishes remain strong throughout that battle. There are some who break down, but she never breaks down. She remains strong the whole time. It's as if she took on the mantle of leadership. You know, some ulama believe that because Imam Zain al-Abidin was injured and Imam al-Hussein had died, that for a few moments, Imam was virtually assumed by Zainab Because Zainab now has to take on the mantle. Normally, a religion will stick with a male patriarchy. Whereas here at this moment, a female becomes the helm. Then on top of that, she's in the political sphere. Yes, she is. Where? In every aspect of that political sphere. And you know what was the most amazing thing about the two of them? Their hijab did not mean that a female could not be in the political sphere. Fatima al-Zahra did not get rid of her hijab to be active in the political sphere. And Sayyidah Zainab did not get rid of her hijab to be active in the political sphere. No, on the contrary. She was there, ready in the political sphere. Fatima spoke out against the oppressor of her time. Zainab spoke out against the oppressor of her time. 
And you see the way that she spoke out. Was she scared in any way? No, feminism, gender studies. Come look at my Zainab. Standing in front of Yazid and saying to him, Oh Yazid, do you think that God has made you honorable and made us contemptible? Now that in your belief you've blocked the earth's zones and the heaven's horizons and you've left no solution for us. Do you think that your reputation is what has led you to victory? You crow with pleasure now that the world has turned for you. Our government is allocated to you and our affairs are arranged for you. Get off your high horse. Have you not read in the Quran when Allah says, like her mom, Quran, Quran, Quran. Have you not read in the Quran when Allah says, let not those who disbelieve think that our granting them respite is good for their souls. We grant them respite so they may add to their sins. And for them there is a painful chastisement. O Yazid, O you whose father, Muawiyah, was freed by my grandfather, Rasulullah. He wasn't even coming into Islam. He was freed on the day of Mecca. He was of the Tulaqa. Is it fair, O son of the, those freed on the opening of Mecca, that you place your wives behind the curtain while the daughters of Rasulullah are taken from city to city with no cover to protect them? Is it fair that you disgrace us and unveil our faces so that all can see us? from strangers to the acquaintance, from the noble to the ignoble, while there is none to defend us. There were many men in this khutbah. They were in pin drop silence because of the voice of one female. One female. Is it fair that you disgrace us, unveiling our faces, so that all can see us from the stranger to the acquaintance, from the noble to the ignoble, while there is none to defend us? How can I hope for sympathy and compassion? From someone whose grandmother chewed the liver of the nobles. That's pure tabarra at that moment, yes. It seems Zainab was a bit sectarian at times. How can I hope for sympathy and compassion from someone whose grandmother chewed the, was born from the flesh of the nobles? Yes. You boast about your disbelieving ancestors wishing that they were present. He used to boast that I wish Abu Sufyan and all of them were here today in Sham. You boast about your dis... You know, at this moment, she could easily get one arrow in her neck. Easy. All he needs to do is order someone, go behead her. You cannot get to me. My mother taught me with Fedak how to speak against oppression. You boast about your disbelieving ancestors, wishing that they were present to do what or to look at what you've done and to see what you've done. You've shed the blood of the progeny of Abdul Muttalib, the heavenly stars on earth. But we'll be patient, Yazid, since soon you'll join your ancestors. And you'll take what you have done with you. We remember the words of Allah when he says, do not count those who have died in the way of Allah as being dead. Rather, they are alive, receiving sustenance from the Lord. O oh, Yazid, although the plight makes me speak to you, I find speaking to you of little value. But I find scolding you great. Therefore, I'll continue to scold you. That's a huge line. It's a brave line. It's a line some men would never utter to a Yazid of their time. Although I find speaking to you of little value, but I find scolding you is great. Therefore, I'll continue to scold you. The eyes are tearful. The heart is sorrowful. 
How ironic it is that the members of the party of Allah are killed by the members of the party of Shaytan. But oh Yazid, know one thing. Your government is unstable and your ideas are transitory. And know one thing. However hard you try, you'll never obliterate our love and our memory from the hearts of the people. Subhanallah. All those years back, Zainab and Fatima, today have we forgotten Zainab and Fatima? Not at all. Wherever you go in the world, why do people come to these majalis? Because of Fatima and her daughter. And one thing about both of them that they had in their lives was what? Was that they literally had to be counselors. And that's something many do not appreciate. When Fatima al-Zahra would see those oppressed in her time, she'd go and counsel them. And one may argue that the hardest thing for Zainab was counseling the beloved around her. Those who either had seen death, those who were too young, or those who did not know what was happening. Believe you me, I think Zainab in front of Yazid was not as difficult as telling Imam al Hussein's daughter where her dad was. Look at that. What was more difficult, you think? Standing in front of Yazid of her time? I don't think it was as difficult. Honestly, as two girls in her life, she has to explain things to. The first of them, who many in the Indo-Pak subcontinent call Sakina. Some places call her Ruqayya. She's the daughter of Abu Abdullah. She keeps asking her one question. Where's my dad? How do you explain to her? Zainab was a rock like her mother Fatima. Educated. Political. But sometimes telling your daughter or telling someone in the family What's happened to her dad's not easy, you agree? She keeps telling her, where's dad? Where's dad? Where's dad? Where's dad? May Allah never show you a day where you have to tell, for example, someone in your family what's happened to their dad. And this is for all the ladies who are listening around the world who miss their fathers tonight. Yes, this is for you. How many of you miss your fathers? Because your fathers may be away, your fathers may be on a journey, or your fathers may have passed away. How many of you miss your dads? And mind you, this is for some of the men in this world as well who've lost their fathers. Don't you just wish you can hold your father one more time? Don't you wish you can hug him one more time? Don't you wish you can just talk to him one more time? Don't you wish you can lock eyes with your father one more time? I ask all of you here, remember your father at this moment. Then remember Sukaina alayhi I think one of the most difficult was her having to answer Sukaina whenever she'd say, where's dad? Where is he? He said he's going to come back. Where is he? That's one of the most difficult. Without a doubt. And that's why when she went to the grave of Imam Al-Hussein after Sham, she said, Aba Abdullah, I looked after all of them, but one I left in Sham. That was one of the most difficult. But do you know where the other most difficult was? Explaining to Sughra where her dad was. That's difficult. Fatima al-Alila, Fatima al-Sughra, when Ahl al-Bayt were leaving Medina, was holding on to her dad. 
Dad, am I gonna see you again? All of us have a Fatima al-Sukhra in our life, don't we? Dad, am I gonna see you again? He said to her, Fatima, remain patient. Imam al-Hussein, when he used to miss his mom, Fatima, would look at Fatima al-Sukhra. Don't worry, remain patient. She said, but Dad, I'm gonna miss you. She is unwell, remain patient. Then she'd look at her uncle Abbas. She'd love to look at him in the eyes. She loved to look at him in the eyes. My uncle Abel Fahm. You're gonna come back, aren't you? Yes. She loved to look at her brother Akbar. Yes, let me hug your chest, my brother. <laughs> she loved to even look at the newborn baby in the house. Yes, which girl doesn't want to look at her baby brother? Yes, she wants to look at the baby brother. And then she looks at her auntie Zainab and Kulthum. I can't wait to see you. Come back soon. Please come back soon. Don't make it a long journey. Can you imagine when they came back to Medina after having seen Karabala, Kufa and Shah? Can you imagine the look of Sughra? She's alone in Medina. Of course, Umm al-Banin is there. And there are others who are there. She'd always ask, is there any news about my dad? <laughs> Has anyone mentioned Imam al-Hussein? Has anyone mentioned any of my siblings? There was no news. When Sayyidah Zainab had come home, remember, she first saw Umm al-Baneen. And Umm al-Baneen and Zainab had embraced. But now Zainab wanted to go and see another girl, yes? Zainab, the bedrock of all rights and all strength. Now this is her most difficult walk. When she came near Sughra, she said to her, Sughra, Salaamu Alaikum. The reply breaks our heart. What was the reply? Wa alaykum salam, but who are you? Allahu Akbar. If I stop my masaib here, that's heartbreaking enough. What have they done to Zainab? What did Karbala do to Zainab? That her niece says to her, sorry, who are you? She said to her, Sughra, Sughra, don't you recognize me, your auntie Zainab? She said, my auntie, what's happened to you? I don't recognize you. But the next question was the one that she knew would come. Tell me, where is my father, Abdullah? I miss my father, Abdullah. I want to hug him again. I want to look in his eyes again. I want to feel his beard again. I want to sit next to him when he prays. I wanted to be sitting in his lap. She said to her, tell me one more thing. Where's my uncle Abelifan? I wanted to see my Abbas again. Tell me, tell me, where's Akbar? Tell me. Let me go and hug him one final time. Tell me about my baby brother. Where's my baby brother?
brother to see him again. How does she explain all of them? Uh, what does she say to her? Uh, she says, your father, I left him in Carmela. If you used to see your uncle's eyes, they took one of his eyes with an arrow. If you used to hug your brother's chest, the horses took his chest. <laughs> and if you used to see that baby, ask Rabab about that baby. <laughs> My dear brothers and sisters, with your tears at this moment, all of you raise your hands. May Allah soften our hearts that we can always have tears in our life, Ya Allah. And if we cannot have, then strengthen us and soften us at the same time to have those tears. Ya Allah, raise us with Muhammad and Al-Muhammad. Ya Allah, allow us to receive the shafa'ah of Sayyida Fatima and Sayyida Zainab alayhim as-salam. Ya Allah, let us take them as our role models in our lives. We pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in honor of the marhumin, of the originators of this majlis. And for all those who are facing difficulties, let's all recite the ayah of the Quran together in one voice with our hands raised aloft. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. أَمَّا يُجِيبُ الْمُضْطَرَّ إِذَا دَعَاهُ وَيَكْشِفُ السُّوءُ Altogether. أَمَّا يُجِيبُ الْمُضْطَرَّ إِذَا دَعَاهُ 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 وَيَكْشِفُ السُّوءُ We pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with the Surah Al-Fatiha but before it the loudest of your salawat. Allah.